Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. And we thank you that today it's still as powerful as the very day that you uttered it and the very day that it was written on paper. We thank you for your word and we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a wonderful teacher. And we ask that you come today and help us to understand by revelation and help us to understand with wisdom what your plan for us is today and how we can participate with you today. We thank you that the the, uh, deliverance of your word brings freedom, brings healing, it brings whatever's necessary for us in our lives today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, today I wanted to, to actually springboard off that song we just sang, uh, Every Knee Will Bow Before the Lion and the Lamb. And of course, you guys, most of you have been around church long enough. You know if I talk about the lion and the lamb, who am I talking about? Jesus. Good. I'm glad somebody went to Sunday school. Um, and that's a really good, you know, Christian response. But what does it mean? I mean, was Jesus a lion and a lamb in one person? Was he, what, schizophrenic or bipolar or something? One day he's a little meek lamb and the next day he's a roaring lion. He would have been a fairly difficult person to live with if that was his personality. But that's not so much his personality as it was what he took on in obedience to his father's plan. We know, um, in fact, um, the John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming when Jesus was on the earth and in John 1.29 he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist recognised Jesus as the Messiah, that Lamb who was actually slain before the foundation of the world. How does that work? I mean, it was already part of God's plan that he was slain before the foundation of the world, but John saw him coming and said, here comes the lamb and he's going to bring salvation. So there was an aspect of Jesus' uh, commission from his father, the role that he had to play on the earth as the lamb. In fact, in um, Philippians 2.7, it talks about Jesus, how he left his kingly seat in heaven... And he came to earth in disguise. He sort of came, you know, not as a superhero or anything like that. He came as a servant. And in fact, a lot of people didn't even recognise him because they didn't realise that he first had to be the lamb that was slain. He came as a servant. So he laid down his heavenly, uh, you know, superiority and came to earth. And then even when he was on earth, he laid down his earthly mission, his earthly ministry... He just let it go and allowed himself to be crucified. And then he went to the very depths of hell. And the Bible says in Philippians 2 that because he had um, subjected himself and humbled himself to that level of humility that God raised him and gave him a seat above every other authority. Earthly authority, heavenly authority, principality, power, gave him the highest authority that the whole universe and the, and the kingdom of God and the whole of creation could ever know. So here was Jesus, the very lowest at the Lamb, 
in the very highest as the king. And in Revelation 5.5, it talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah who was worthy to open the scroll in, in Revelation in the end days. The Bible says who, who is worthy to open that? It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was spoken about in, in prophecy, but there it was. He was worthy to open the scroll which unleashed um, you know, the prophecy of, of the end times. So you have these two aspects of Jesus. And I want to take it just a little bit further. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter's giving this famous uh, message on the day of Pentecost, and in verse 30 of Acts chapter 2 it says, but he was a prophet, David was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. And David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. Now track with me here, this is all going to make sense in a minute. And it says in verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the highest place of honour in heaven at God's right hand. Verse 36, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah, to be both king and sacrifice, to be both the lion and the lamb. And so Jesus had these two roles. Okay. Let's continue on. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, it says, this salvation, and we're talking about here what the prophets looked down through history and they prophesied of a coming salvation. It says even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and the glory after. There it is again. The sufferings of the Lamb and the glory after is the lion. Or the sufferings as the sacrifice and the glory afterwards as the king. Now the prophets of old, I did a little diagram that helps me to understand, if you want to put that diagram up, what the prophets saw. They looked down the, 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 um, in the realm of eternity and in the realm of the spirit, they looked down through history and they saw that there was coming a Messiah indicated by that cross. And then they looked further and they could see that there was also a king. But they had no idea what was in between. You see how a little sign says, you are here. That's where the church is. Halfway between when Jesus came the first time and when Jesus came this is coming the second time. We call that the age of grace or the age of the church. Now the prophets in the Old Testament they saw very clearly because they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus on the cross as the the sacrifice. They saw Jesus as the king. But they had no idea about this mystery in the middle. It wasn't revealed to them yet. So, as you can see, I've got these, these little visual aids, or they're quite big visual aids, on the platform. So this is what it looked like for the prophets of old. They stood on this side of eternity. Now, in God's calendar, there are seven years in God's calendar on the earth. Now, you know, the 
people believe, and, and could be true, that the Earth is actually older than 6,000 years. It probably is. But God's calendar started when he put Adam and Eve on the earth. And for 2,000 years, that was called the age of conscience. And then the law came through Moses. And then for 2,000 years from Moses to the cross was the age of the law. That makes 4,000 years. Then we have this wonderful time that we're living in right now called the age of grace. 2,000 years from when Jesus came the first time and Jesus came the second time. That makes how much? How many are you counting? Six. Six thousand years. Just remember that. So the prophets of old, they stood here on this side and they knew about creation and they knew about the law, but they looked down through time and they could see this Messiah, the Lamb, and the King, Jesus, the, the, the Lion, they didn't know what was between. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine people in the Old Testament um, saying to them, hey, guys, you know, this, this God that made Mount Sinai tremble, he's going to actually come and live on the inside of you. <laughs> mm, I don't think so. You imagine, I mean, when, when Moses received the law, the Israelites says, we're not going anywhere near the mountain. You go up there. You go up there on our behalf. We don't want to go anywhere near this God because we know he's an all-consuming fire. Well, that very God is actually living on the inside of you. Little wonder it was a mystery to the prophets. They, they couldn't visualize what that would look like, but they did see Jesus. They saw him as the Messiah, the, the Lamb. They saw him as the King, the Lion. Right? Very important. So, I want to take you now to Hebrews 6. Keep tracking with me because this is getting really exciting. I like this part. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks at the beginning of chapter 6 about the foundation or, or the, the um, elementary doctrines of Christianity the foundation of Christianity. And he says, now let us move on to something a little more. There's actually more. And he talks about it here. And he talks about those who were once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Isn't that interesting? How do you taste of the powers of the age to come. Now, if you remember, how many years did we have leading up to the cross? 4,000 years. 2,000 years from the cross to the crown. That makes six. Even I can work that out. But there's a 7,000 a year, a seventh millennial coming. Who knows what happens on the seventh day? What did God do? He rested. There is coming an age to come beyond the second coming, which is a thousand years of reigning and resting. Sounds like a good retirement plan, don't you think? A thousand years of reigning and resting. And it says in Hebrews that you can actually taste of the powers of the age to come. 
Would you like a little bit of ruling and a little resting in your life today? Oh, I tell you what, this is so wonderful. It's so wonderful. How do we taste of the age to come? Now, we know also in Hebrews, it talks there about the dominion that Jesus bought for us when he finished his work on the cross. Remember when he finished on the cross, what were his last words that he said? It is a work in progress. It is nearly done. He, He said it is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, the work that he had to do for our salvation, our redemption and everything that was given to us because of his blood and his body, the blood shed for us and his body broken. It was finished and it was given to us. So in Hebrews 2 verse 8, uh, Hebrews 2 verse 8, it talks about what is man that you are mindful of him. So it's talking about man here. And then it says um, in the end of verse 7, and he set him over the works of your hands and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, if you went to Sunday school like I did and sent my kids to Sunday school, um, you know the the songs that we sing, the devil is under my feet, in Jesus my victory is complete, I'm seated with him and all glory is mine and the devil's under my feet. And you say to the kids, where's the devil? And they say, he's under my feet. Well, what does that mean? It's a nice little Christian cliche But what does it mean? What does it mean? Because in verse 8, in verse verse 8 he goes on to say, for in that he put all in subjection under him, say all, all in subjection under him, he left maybe a few things. Nothing. He left nothing that is not put under him. There is nothing that is not put under your feet. He, put, he, he gave you dominion over all things. He put the whole works of, the, of what Jesus did, he gave it to you to exercise it. Now in verse 8 it says then, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. How many of you are seeing some things that you know that should be under your feet but that's right in front of your face? You've got stuff, and and if you just get that under your feet, something else tomorrow will happen. Stuff happens. Unless, I mean, how how many has stuff happening every day? We have stuff happening every day. Jesus has given us authority over that. So, but, it says right there in Hebrews, that not everything we see under our feet. What you see has a lot to do with your uh, exercise of victory. Okay? Verse 9, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower the angel, than the angels for the suffering of death. How do we see him? We see him crowned with glory and honour. You know, the way that you see Jesus 
will affect the level of victory in your life. I watched it uh, some time ago. I watched a movie. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was about some Japanese missionaries who centuries ago went into Japan and won some converts and told them about Jesus, told them about this wonderful Jesus who died for them to give them eternal life. And these, this small group of Japanese people took that truth. This is a true story. It, they took that truth to themselves, but all they knew about Jesus was the cross. And they carried around in their pockets little bit twigs that they strung together with bits of twine, and they carried these icons in their pockets, and they had to hide away from the Japanese army and the emperor and all of his, his henchmen because they were being taken and tortured and killed because they carried these little crosses. But that's all that they knew about Jesus. Well, praise God they knew that much about Jesus because when they were tortured and killed, they were received straight away to glory. But all they knew was about the cross and praise God for the cross. I thank God for the cross. I thank God for what was accomplished there. But you know, if you only ever see Jesus on the cross, your life is going to be dangling a bit. It's a bit like this. I've got this guitar here. And um, you don't have to be a brilliant guitarist to know that if you want this guitar string to play something, it has to be anchored in two places. It has to be anchored at the bottom here, really well anchored. I've got another another string here that's not really well anchored and I can pull that string right out. Sorry Andy. <laughs> but it's well anchored. But for that string to actually play, it must be anchored also here. And for our lives to have the victory that we need to have, our lives have to have two anchor points. The first is well anchored. I mean, these, these are well anchored, immovable, unchangeable, solidly fixed here at these base points. I see Andy's laughing at me. Am I getting this wrong? <laughs> and, but it must also be anchored at the top here. You know, and while we were worshipping the Lord today, I, I saw in my heart that there are some people sitting here today your life is well anchored in the cross. Well anchored. You know for sure what Christ Jesus did for you. You know what salvation entails. But this is what's happening in your life right now. I can take this string and put it anywhere and it's not playing anything beautiful at all. There is an anchoring that takes place and, there, and for those of you who, who sense that your life is flapping around right now, facing some situations that you don't know how to deal with, this is going to bring you liberty. Because our lives need to be anchored also, not just in the lamb, but in the lion. Not just in the cross, but also the crown. And the way that we see Jesus on that throne is the way that victory will be, will, 
be expressed in our lives. So we can only see, we can only have victory depending on how we see Jesus and how we see ourselves in him. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in a position of the highest authority, but he gave us a seat there as well. He gave us a place there as well. And we partake of that by faith in the same way that the prophets of old looked to, the, to Jesus, the coming Messiah, and received righteousness by faith. Remember um, Rahab the harlot. I mean, she was a prostitute, for goodness sake. But the Bible calls her a woman of faith, made righteous. Why? She wasn't born again like we are born again, but she partook of that coming Messiah by faith. By faith, she took it out of the future and she, she applied it to her life. We do exactly the same thing here in this age. We take seriously what Jesus bought and paid for and we take it by faith. Now, it, you know, in Hebrews, remember we said that, that the verse says, um, at this point we don't see everything in, with our natural eyes. We don't see everything under our feet, but we see Jesus. How do you see Jesus? Um, oh, let me go back. I jumped over a scripture. 1, 1 John 3, verse um, 2 to 3. It says, Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it's not yet apparent what we will become. But we do know that when it's finally made visible, we will be just like him, for we will see him as he truly is. And all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. When you look at Jesus and the victory that he has and the throne that he has, it actually has the effect of tuning your life, just like that tuning peg on the guitar. Your life becomes tuned every day. The more that you look at Jesus and the more you become transformed into his likeness and reflect his likeness. And so you go, okay, that's a nice bunch of Christian cliches. <laughs> what does that look like for me tomorrow morning when I get up? How does that apply to my life here and now? All right, I know the answer. I mean, Jesus is on the throne and he's, I'm seated with him in heavenly places and there is a, a place of rest that I need to enter in. How do I enter that rest? Let's look in Hebrews 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. You know, the Amplified says, be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. You know, entering that rest is the hardest work that you ever have to do as a Christian. 
Otherwise, the writer of Hebrews wouldn't have said for you to exert yourself and strive diligently. Entering the rest is the hardest work that you're going to have to do as a Christian. And it says there in verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful. There you go, there's the answer. How do you enter the rest? How do you get to that place of rest? By the word of God. Well, we know Jesus is the word of God. Um, Jesus is the word, he's the living word. And we have the written word. And when we read the written word, the Holy Spirit makes it living word. So if you want to know and you want to see Jesus, you read the Bible. It's Sunday school simplicity. You want to know Jesus? Read the Bible. Get into the Word. The Bible is the manifesto of Jesus himself. A manifesto is a published declaration of the intentions, motives or views of the issuer. The whole of the Bible is the story of Jesus from start to finish. And in the scriptures, you will find that living word. All right, how do you do that? I'm going to give you an example. We know that that place is a seat of rest. You can tick that on an exam paper. And you know that that place has been given to you. We sing the song, we're seated with him. I believe it, I receive it, I have been seated with him. And I have been I've been given a crown to wear as well, authority. But how am I going to do it? Because over here, I seem to be fighting a whole bunch of other stuff. Every day, I'm fighting stuff. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, James and I um, were able to hire a motorhome and go on a holiday. We had 11 days. We were going to go away and rest. Just he was going to drive, I was going to sleep. It's a perfect combination. <laughs> so we, you know, we hired the motorhome and we started packing and getting all excited because, I mean, it's just the best holiday ever. It's wonderful. And so looking forward to 11 days of rest. And about a day or two before we were due to drive out, something happened um, that came up in front of our faces. An issue, And I don't have to tell you what the issue was. You can overlay your own experience onto mine and you can put there anything you like, whether it be healing, financial need, strife in the family, losing a job, worry over something or other, whatever it is. It happened to us two days before we were ready to go. And so, of course, you know, what happens then, you know, you start talking to each other about the situation. Yak, 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 Anyway, so we got the motor home, we packed it up, we're getting all ready to go. We're so excited. We got in this motor home, ready to drive out. We're driving down the, down the highway. You know what we're doing? We're talking about it. Yak, 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 So we pulled up the first night at this um, beautiful uh, pond or billabong or whatever you like, trees, it was just so peaceful and birds singing and ducks on the pond, it was just so lovely. And we pulled up there and we set up the motorhome and we looked out there and you know what, we're sitting out there, we went for a little walk around this big billabong and you know what we're talking about? Yak and yak and yak and yak and I thought, this is not turning out to be a restful holiday. 
This is actually quite stressful, very stressful. And the next morning we woke up and the first thing on our mind again was this situation and we said to each other, that's it. We, we're going to change our opinion. Now, do you know how, how difficult it is to change your own opinion? I mean, I have an opinion and the reason I have the opinion is because I believe I'm right. Well, if I think I'm right and it's not giving me peace... What do we know about truth? Truth sets you free. Well, what we were knacking, knacking, knacking about was not setting us free. So we decided we are going to look into the Word of God. And we said, Lord, you tell us what you think about this situation. And let me tell you, it was not what I thought about the situation. But he said, this is what I think about the situation. So James and I, right then and there, we said, we are going to change our opinion you know how you change your opinion? Shut up. <laughs> Shut your mouth and don't say anything about what you think. Just speak what the Word of God says. People might say, well, let's just be real about the situation. That's real. That's real. There's nothing more real than the truth of the Word of God. You know, and people might say to you, tell me, what do you really think about that situation? I'll tell you what I really think about that situation. We will not suffer strife. And we have to take the word of God. What do you think about the situation? I think what God says, because God's word is true and he's not a liar. My opinion will change. So you know what happened to us then on that second day of our holiday? We decide to change our mind. <laughs> we decide to change our opinion. We took a seat, put the, put the crown on. We had a wonderful, restful holiday. And the rest didn't come because we were in a motorhome. The rest came because we were seated with him by the word of God. And so last night, here's another story. This happened just last night. I was reading, you know, I went to bed and I'm reading through my notes and I'm praying and I'm thanking the Lord and, you know, Lord, you give me utterance. This is a wonderful word. I think I've got it. It's good. And the Lord said to me, you're going to have to practice what you preach. And I went, oh. Anyway, a few minutes later, our neighbours behind us, our bedroom's at the back of the house, their back patio is right, I mean, it's a stone's throw literally from the bedroom. They started with a party around 10 o'clock. And the party had music and alcohol. And it was loud. It was loud. And I wasn't, obviously, not real happy about it, 10 o'clock. So we go, okay. Came to midnight, and I'm thinking, all right, guys, it's midnight. And I was still not happy about it. And I'm thinking, bless God, I'm going to... And the Lord said, you're going to have to practice what you preach. And I said, well, okay, Lord, give me a word for those people there. And I'm picturing like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, or the ground opening up or something like that. But that's not what the Lord's told me. And I said, Lord, what do you think about my neighbours? Bless God, I'm a minister of the gospel and I'm about to preach a message tomorrow morning and I need my sleep. But there was a rest I needed more than sleep. And the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at one o'clock in the morning, you, you want to be lying in bed and the Lord's saying, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Anyway, finally around three o'clock, they turned the music down. <laughs> Only because another neighbour called out to them, hey guys, you know. So they turned the music down. But I found a rest that was more valuable to me than an extra four hours sleep. And it was the rest knowing what he told me. So I didn't get into bed to, to sleep that last night. I got into my seat of authority. And when we got up this morning after two and a half hours sleep, we looked at each other and we praised the Lord, we're going to have church this morning. You know, there are a lot of times in, in your life when situations happen. And, you know, like even whatever, even last night I could have rung Marissa up at midnight and said, Marissa, I want you to stand in agreement with me that those people are going to shut up in Jesus' name. The devil's really attacking me and he's giving me such a hard time and I'm supposed to be preaching tomorrow morning and I don't know how I'm going to do that. You gotta, we're going to have to come against that. Oh, we come against those neighbours. in the. Oh, we thank you, Lord. You're going to open their... Do you know that's not in accordance with God's will? Nor is it his heart. He loves those people. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He gave me that word. I took that word and tuned my life up to it. Used it to tune my life. There are all sorts of situations that you might be facing today. And your first response, let me tell you, if you are feeling weak, you do exactly what it says in James. Call for someone who's stronger than you and say, will you help me? But you know, most of the time, you are able to deal with it by just controlling your thought life. Subject yourself to the word of God. Lord, give me your word. What does your word say about this? You're facing strife in your family today. You can't come against your spouse. You can't come against some things. Some things you will speak to and cast them into the sea because they were done at the cross. If you're dealing with sickness today, you speak to it. You cast it into the sea. If you're dealing with lack today, you, you look at the cross and you know that that has been cast into the sea and, and you speak to it. But there are some things that you cannot cast into the sea, as much as I would love to have cast my neighbours into the sea. I couldn't do that. You find out what the Lord says about it. And you'll find that his word brings you liberty and freedom and victory. And you can partake of that age to come. Isn't that wonderful? Partake of that age to come. Get used to sitting in your seat of authority because in the time of the millennial reign, you're going to be in authority. If you can rule and reign now and in, on enemy territory, <laughs> you can rule and reign in the millennial reign. And God needs us as a church to stand up and recognise and realise that he's put everything under your feet. There is nothing outside of the realm of what redemption has paid for. And if you believe it today, then you exercise it today. It's not easy. It's not easy. It is a fight because we've got this to deal with. I wanted to take you to Psalm 24 
And I want to show you the kind of faith that David had, King David had. I read this scripture a long time ago and it's what opened to me this this idea of tasting of the age to come. And I'm going to start right over here, Psalm 24. And we see here how David started right back at creation. And he said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it, the world and they that dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the currents and the rivers. And then he turned from creation and he saw the cross. He saw the Messiah. Who shall go up to the mountain of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted himself up to falsehood or to what is false, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Receive righteousness because of what Jesus did. And then David, whether he knew it or not, he linked into something from this age we live in, the age of grace, the church age. This is the generation of those who seek him, who inquire of and and for him of necessity require him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Just pause and think of that, this generation that we live in right now. And then David saw the age to come. And this is really powerful. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you age-abiding doors. Who are the age-abiding doors and the gates? You are. That word there in the Hebrew is the vanishing point. It's the portal where this earth connects with heaven. Do you know that you are a portal? There is an element of this age to come, this ruling, reigning, peaceful, restful age to come that can be expressed through your life right here, right now, just as it was in the prophets of old. So you are a portal, you are a gate, you are an age-abiding eternal door. So he says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you age-abiding doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The king of glory wants to come in to this world today. The Bible says that in the end days that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory. How is the earth going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory unless it shines through your life? And that glory is the full expression of everything that was paid for at the cross. The full expression of it. Redemption, healing, provision, favour, anointings, victory. Victory. God paid a very high price for it. We have a responsibility to exercise it here and now. Then David repeats it again. He says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Yes, lift them up, you age-abiding doors, that the King of glory 
may come in. Who is he then, the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You know, in Luke 18, 8, there's a scripture that says, when Jesus comes, will he find this kind of faith in the earth? This kind of faith that takes what was paid for at the cross, firmly planted and plugged into that, but is tuned up by the King. He's coming. He's promised this age to come because God wants to reveal and reflect his glory in the earth today. I saw it this way. It's a two-way collaboration. When you hook into his kingship and put a demand on it, it puts a demand not only just for your life, but it puts a demand on his coming. The more you exercise this victory, the more Jesus is going to be coming. We know he's going to come. We know he's coming. But I saw that God is relying on us for a collaboration and a cooperation. We can't just sit on the front row with our feet up and expect, oh, he'll come. Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. Occupy until I come, he said. Occupy. Not just keep busy. Take a firm grasp of the victory that's been given to you. And he's made it so simple. Take his word, believe his word, believe the living word, stand fast on it, and the victory will be demonstrated. I know that sitting here today, there are many of you who've actually experienced this. And you may not even know that you've experienced it, but you've had tremendous victory. Whether it's as small as having enough money to pay your rent by Friday, or whether you've been miraculously healed, it's a demonstration of that victory that was paid for you. It's as simple as put the word in your mouth, speak the word out, change the way you're thinking, renew your mind, and be a portal so the King of glory can come in. Amen. Father, we thank you for the living word that is still as powerful today as when it was spoken right at the beginning of creation. We thank you for that living word that's active in our lives. It's powerful. It divides between our soul and our spirit and it discerns the very thoughts and intentions of our heart. And we thank you that before you we can stand knowing that we are righteous. And we thank you that before you, we can take your word and we can reflect your glory and hasten the day that Jesus is coming back. Oh, we call you King of Kings. We call you Lord of Lords. Pull on the King of Glory. Bring his rule and reign into your situation Make a demand on his lordship and this will hasten his return. Amen. 
If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.